0: What's up? I'm Miles. And I'm Jan. We're the brothers behind Real Ballers Read, and this is The Book That Blank, a podcast where we talk to interesting people about books that are meaningful to them. Each guest gets to fill in the blank however they want. It could be the book that totally changed my life, the book that is way better than the movie, or the book that makes my stomach hurt from laughing. Today, we are talking with Forrest, your favorite librarian, about the book that makes me
1: feel clean and hurt. I feel like She's talking to me, but she's talking to my family, my Black community, my queer, people of color. Like, it's just, I love it. I love it. It's like, and this is also my first title that I read from a woman, particularly a Black woman that talks about bisexuality. I know that's saying a lot because when I experienced certain narratives, they just mentioned, but she explores the experience of a woman and another woman and how that dynamic It was just, I was like, oh my God. I was like, oh, bitch, I'm
2: in, I'm
0: in. (laughs) I'm in. I know. Wow. So what book are we talking about? We're talking about Sassafras, Cypress, and Indigo by Antezake Shange. This was our first time reading this book, and we absolutely loved our conversation with Forrest. We hope you will too. Here it is. Hey.
1: Hi, guys. How's it going? It's going well. I'm enjoying my Sunday. How are you guys doing today?
2: (laughs) Really well. I I know. We just flew in from Massachusetts yesterday. Oh,
1: how was your travels?
2: They were good. I mean, it's more crowded than you would think, though, Uh, in these planes and airports. Yeah, it's packed.
0: It's like COVID doesn't exist. Except, you know, everyone's wearing masks, but there's just too many people around.
1: Are you from the New England area?
0: No, we just went to high school there. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in Dayton, Ohio, so we just came back last
2: night. We are like, <laughs> hanging out with our family. Yeah. It's Where so do much. You- I, don't to
1: cut- I don't mean to cut you off. Are you Big Ten fans? We used to be.
0: Yeah, we we, we don't really follow sports <laughs> as much anymore.
1: Understandable. I, yeah. I'm a Buckeye fan, so I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay. Like- awesome. <laughs> But Wait, as you're saying, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no,
2: it's totally fine. Where are are you from? Oh, Ohio, or
1: have you oh no, Ohio? I just acknowledge greatness when I see wow. it, and uh, there <laughs> <That's laughs> <a> in <bit laughs> Ohio, wow. out, I mean, outside of women's basketball because that's Tennessee, mm-hmm. and definitely outside of football, which I would claim Alabama because I'm a University of Alabama Roll Tide graduate. But yes, I. Oh, man, I love the Big Ten. I love their sports, where they approach some athleticism. Now, when it comes to supporting the athletes after schooling and when they get into the professional leagues, I don't really appreciate how they capitalize off of some of the likeliness of some of the players and how they don't provide them some resources to rehabilitate themselves because they're not at the academic standing that they need to be upon graduating. I only appreciate that with some of the Big Ten um, institutions, especially Michigan. But
2: that's just me. <laughs> <it. laughs> yeah, so did you go to an HBCU as well?
1: Yes, the yeah. Fort Valley State University here in Georgia. Okay. Uh, I'm actually a military man, Um, but right. I explored and researched a lot of HBCUs. And mm-hmm. believe it or not, I just fell in love with Fort Valley, especially its history and its development. So I just knew it was that. And then I researched some MLIS programs, and then I just knew that alabama was the next step because of its history and how it shaped not only desegregation but the civil rights movement at that time i mean although they came kicking and screaming i appreciate how they approach diversity maybe not what they're doing now but i appreciate their approach wow
0: okay and what is that approach exactly
1: so for example, my in, my intake for my graduate program, they actually did not reach out to me. Um, a lot of PWI schools, believe it or not, they're present on HBCU campuses to transition them into another institution for higher learning for graduate programs, PhD programs, and certifications. But the University of Alabama was not present on my campus. And I actually was going to go to North Texas under the duration of a Black woman. Their library program is so wonderful. Not only the representation staffing, but how they utilize their curriculum based on ALA standards. When I researched Alabama, I was like, this is like right in the neck of my woods, but they're one of the top MLIS programs, specifically because of their curriculum, possibly not because of their, you know, representation and staffing and their administration, but their literal curriculum prepares you to be one of the greatest solicit professionals, library and information professionals. So I had to really weigh my options because I knew I had to go to a PWI. That was given. There are no HBCUs that have this program. So that I realized, you know, if I'm making this investment in my education, I'm moving away from minority serving, minority funded, minority represented, like I'm moving away from my community that I want to work with and for. So Mm -hmm. in that, I had to be conscious. And of course, you know, the double consciousness did make me hyper vigilant. So upon going to the University of Alabama, it was a culture shock because I'm not used to, you know, food that doesn't look good and not taste. Basically, <laughs> you know, beer companies sponsoring my football games and my professional outgoings, intramural sports like Budweiser, Miller Lite is literally sponsoring intramural sports. You would never see that at HBCU. So I had to utilize the resources in my environment. And in a way, I had to become not a product. But I had to become a resource, I had to utilize, you know, not only the intersection I represent, but also become an access of circulation of resources that can better other people in my community that don't know these exist, unbeknownst to just simply sharing that. And that's something that I've used that similar approach with my platform, Favorite Librarian. Um, I heart and I also with yours, I love, you know, Ballers Read, our Ballers Must Read, excuse me. I love just how, you know, your relationship as brothers, I'm not sure how, I, I, let me just project, I believe you guys are brothers. <laughs> are you twins?
2: No. no. <laughs> Who's the oldest? I am. By like, that- yeah, by like 18 <laughs> months. So, I mean, yeah, he, Miles was always around, but we're like Wait. super close in age.
1: You're Irish twins, then?
2: Oh, that's what is it's that called. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I never heard of that before.
1: No. Yes, yeah, so if that's you're born 16 months or 21 months apart, you're Irish twins. It's um after okay. the Irish born, <laughs> they are um, multiple births within um, a 24 month period. So that's where the term the term is coined: Irish twins. So yeah, uh, Irish twins.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: uh, no, learn right? something new,
2: right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we we either get that we're, we we're twins or we're cousins or we don't look anything alike. Yeah. So, it's funny.
1: Are your personalities um a contrast from one another or are they very similar?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Guys, what do you think? I think uh-huh. I think we are very similar like globally in terms of like like where we're at just like Okay with reading, with with things like school or work, you know what I'm saying? So these big uh, kind of... Like your general outlook on Yeah, life. general outlook, right. We have more in common than we don't, but I think like <laughs> in, in terms of like how we interact with people. Totally specifically, different, totally yeah. contrasted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, wow. And is it just the two of you? Do you have any additional siblings?
0: We have a younger sister. She's at Oberlin College right now. Um, Congratulations. (laughs) Thank
2: you. Thank you. Yeah. Are you excited for her? Yes. Very excited. She's she's doing so much art and having a lot of fun, it seems. And she's busy, definitely, but learning a lot, taking some really cool classes, too. That's dope. Or
1: yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh wow. You know, can I ask a few more questions if that's okay? Okay.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: of course. <laughs> so you said that you have many similarities, but it's the contrast, especially with how you engage. Mm-hmm. Are each of you introverts or introverts?
2: Yeah. I would yeah. say I would say I'm definitely introverted. Um I'm like more quiet and get very
0: uh i lose energy really quickly in like situ like social situations that are too overwhelming Mm -hmm. um so i very much prefer like one-on-one relationships and like talking to people uh kind of like in a a smaller group setting um yeah once it gets to like five or more people it's just a little too much for me like i have to be way more intentional about when i socialize like that and then i also have to be more intentional about like recovering from that because
2: it's just it can be too much sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then I'm the opposite. I'm an extrovert <laughs> and just uh, the star of the party, the life <laughs> of the party. I am. I'm talking, if I'm in the library or if you know, walk in any anywhere. You know, I try and talk and meet people. And uh but I think I, I've I've become more of an ambivert amb- too in this last year where I'm like both and like because I've always enjoyed reading like I think you know you gotta have a little bit of the more um you know with 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 drawing type personality but like I I think (laughs) in in terms of where I have always drawn my energy from those is other people definitely yeah. Hmm.
1: So you're an extrovert and you're an introvert. Yeah. You know, for my, first of all, thank you for sharing that and being so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, I am definitely an introvert.
2: <laughs> That's
1: <is> right. <laughs> um, and, um, I know that sounds very odd, but I appreciate working around extroverts, knowing that there is another energy and there's another, quote unquote, planet, you know, orbiting yeah, exactly. because I'm in my own world. And it's not that I cannot. I'm engaged or that i am disengaged or desensitized from you know just in a personal but you know like you i do my energy does drain so i do have to be a strategic i like to say about to whom i allow in and who gets to receive all of me so i i empathize with you on that like
2: yeah
0: yeah thanks. exactly
2: exactly
0: yeah no that's probably that's probably why too like uh we ended up being the ones like talking like in preparation for this call only because like I so
2: noticed
0: yeah yeah no sir I was the one
2: that's so funny that's so funny I
1: thought
2: no. I thought
1: <laughs> you were Jed and you were yeah.
0: no yeah, no, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. Jed
1: yeah. I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: that's hilarious yeah, but no like funny. I just uh I think In the last, you know, two months and a half that we've been on Mm -hmm. Instagram, um, you know, it was definitely a lot, like, during that entire new world. Mm -hmm. But what has helped me through it is just, like, like, seeing people like you, right, and be like, wow, like, I really mess with Boris, and then being as sincere and, like, reaching out to you as possible, you know, because it's like, because that's that, that's that same one-on-one kind of, like, relationship building that I'm used to in real life,
2: Yeah.
0: Um. and, of course, like, we wouldn't have met if it wasn't through our, like, Instagrams, Um. so, so then you kind of have to, like, you know, be grateful for it in that sense, mm-hmm. but... But yeah, no, that that that's definitely where I'm at, where it's like, okay, like, be sincere on the platform and then take it off the platform. So then it's actually like, you know, yeah. a, a, an actual, like, friendship or budding one. So. Sure. Yeah. Well,
1: thank you. Thank you again for inviting me to just share this conversation. I'm also glad our paths have crossed. I'm sorry if you yeah. hear it. It's a little loud here in Georgia.
2: <laughs> oh, no, yeah, yeah. We can't hear anything. Yeah.
1: Oh, there's some music playing outside. But yeah. also, um, I actually am very hesitant to collaborate because mm-hmm. you know, people, professionals are people. And although I'm a licensed archivist and I'm a licensed librarian, um, I have anxiety. So it always mm-hmm. makes me a little hesitant. You know, the fear of missing out syndrome is real. <laughs> yeah. And the imposter syndrome is also real. So when I say when I share with, you know, my audience that there is a book for you is because I wholeheartedly believe so. And similar to conducting the work for your mental health, the work for your your academic research is very similar. It's individual, but professionals are there to guide you. And so I truly believe that, you know, if you can't locate mental health resources paired to your socioeconomic standing, that literature and specifically Black and queer people of color literature is one of the best fulcrums it just it's a wealth of information and i try to just provide just a full balance a non biased balance of information um, from muslim eugenics queer black feminist Mm -hmm. womanist uh, conservatives conservatives um we can just go all the way around the whole spectrum you know the black experience is not monolithic it's not specifically are solely christian-based southern or american it's a collective narrative so i'm just really excited for us in this conversation plus i want to also hear like how you felt about my favorite novel ever uh,
2: <laughs> exactly
1: how did you how did you feel about this title i'm really interested to know from your each of your perspectives
2: okay In
1: general, let's start there in general
2: yeah. all right well
0: um just, just from the title, or like it being into Zayshangia
2: as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Both from the author, because her poetic work and prose is just really <laughs> But how do you feel about the author and oh, just I'm the sorry. title? All right.
0: Well, uh, I'll try and be as concise as possible because I have a long answer to this. I think um, I've been well. So I, I've always had like a really deep interest in um, like nature, ecology, mm-hmm. science and whatnot. Um, and within this last six months, I've started to see more of the relations between like black people and their environment. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, that, I mean, it's, it's been changing my mind every day. I feel, uh, just developing it further and seeing how, you know, whether we, whether black people are in, you know, the South, right. in Indigo's case, like too much of the South in her, where she's like very clearly connected mm-hmm. to nature, or you're in more urban environments, you still have mm-hmm. like this negotiation negotiated relationship with the environment and like species around you. So when I saw that title, I thought that it was like a
2: perfect, like the what it what it was signifying was like perfect for where I feel like I'm at because it's about seeing nature more as like specific beings
0: and entities and like with meaning and color and you know their own environments um and that's different than like just saying blanket nature right so i so the the three like names that she picked specifically like in that order all signifying like different colors um just really like set a perfect framing for me around like not only the relationship of these three sisters, but also like the, their different embodiments or like representations um, in terms of like nature and, and analogy to nature, so.
1: Oh man, um, well, first, I love your color analogy. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I do believe that it's a true representation, not only of specific color representation of characters and the distinctive right. family relationship and sisterhood of each sister and daughter, um, but also reflection of the Gullah Geechee heritage, which yeah. there's specific indigo color and color dyeing, specifically fabric dyeing of chiffon and silk that we see in the first few chapters um, through certain flashbacks and memories of many of the daughters and through many of the letters that um, they have between the mother And I do believe, yes, there is a Sankofa effect with reclaiming not only nature, but exploring, you know, eco ecology and also eco womanism. Mm
2: -hmm. There's an
1: approach to explore the divine feminine energy and the divine feminine and all of there is a lack of the divine masculine energy when we see the lack of the father there but through certain flashbacks and even through the flash forward with the dream sequence which is like that little mm, of like afrofuturism like a (laughs) you
2: know
1: we have to keep in mind that this book was written during the uh black arts movement so there's a lot of like sparks of different ideologies of like afro uh pessimism You know the detachment from bonded from bonding bondage but yet in the flash forward in the dream sequence the father is being tortured through in a sense in my opinion through her subconscious you know we see that the mother and father at some point had a domestic dispute Mm -hmm. or there was a presence of violence and in reality and also through the childlike mind of the daughters, they never saw the father receive some sort of consequence or never taking accountability for these actions or even acknowledge these things. So functioning as a child and moving towards the adulthood and allowing them to shape how they attract love and define love for themselves, especially when we see with um. Sassafras, I
2: mean,
1: that, you know, know, it's like, and then, you know, the other sister selling drugs and like, she got a trap house. It's like, shit, y'all just can't match up and chill. But they all had different, you know, expressions of self through their experiences as a child. So, and that was also, I believe, because of their um, geological isolation. So when you say that there was a, an effect of going back to nature, I believe that it's used to represent also how the Gullah Geechee heritage and culture is specifically isolated because of their location and they're on islands and isles. And as a Gullah Geechee, because I have family that are from the St. Silence Islands. I understand that it's important to have the isolation because without it, literally because of xenophobia, people won't explore because they won't step outside of their communities and mm-hmm. can be their comfort zones. So.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Sorry, I'm a little long winded.
0: No, no, <laughs> no, I'm just really excited because I, I was I was reading this book. Like This book is so deep and it's yeah. like a perfect book for right now. And I was really hoping that you were going to be ready to go into it because I was yeah. like, this is your favorite book. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I was, I was like, like, "This is this is Forrest's favorite book." Like, I know she's she's about to be schooling us on like what's mm-hmm. going on inside. Um, mm-hmm.
2: uh, I mean, where to where to start, Miles? God. I think? mean, man, I guess we can start with Indigo. I mean, since she's the first encounter we really have, and uh, you know, our entryway into the book.
1: Yeah, she's also the youngest and I believe the most probably um least rebellious of the sisters. Mm-hmm. Would you take that opinion or would do you disagree? <laughs> and before you disagree, let me explain why I believe she's the least rebellious. <laughs> simply because when we see Cypress and Sassafras, they return to the South. Indigo has always been not stagnant but present and that's a definition of her passion for not only folk magic preserving black narrative history but also she's a midwife which is a sacred practice of not only in the black culture but the women that catch the babies also help define their paths and so like like, she didn't go anywhere because she had everything she needed from within. The other sisters had to discover that from their worldly experiences. So,
2: Yeah, I mean, for her to only be 12, I think when I first read that, I was a little shocked because almost, you know, because this, this is the first book that I've read since The Bluest Eye. And so I thought about that. A lot because both Toni Morrison and Chang'e <laughs> here like are making children so wise and so yes. full of magic and um yeah you 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 just you just I I just couldn't be- believe that like Indigo was like younger than I was as I was reading it because I was like man this is a kind of spiritualness that i aspire to and i think for for her to also be going through such a you know you know pivotal period in her life um with getting her her first period was just like um i don't need i don't even know i haven't i actually haven't that was the first time i had like read about that in in a book uh in in this way um and I'm still just kind of pressed kind of it. Honestly, I, yeah, I don't know what you have to add on. To that. Yeah, uh,
0: I mean, I I can see exactly where you're where you're talking about her being less rebellious. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's a function of just like her age, right? Or or kind of like her her the difference in her outlook in terms of like wanting to stay in the south. And I say that just because like you know i i mean i was i was in love with indigo from like her first few pages of like the description around her like she's just adorable and then and then you see and then you see this the the the, the development of like her um getting her period and then you have the whole interaction with the doctor and it's just like yeah. wow like you know shange really did uh what's the word contrast like such such beauty and like innocence with such a like scary, like ugly scene, really, just in terms of how that how the doctor was like interacting with her, mm-hmm. um, and and even there showing how like he was caught by a spirit, right, by by an evil spirit, and she had to like, you know, kind of like clean cleanse herself of that. But seeing how she, you know, turned around and was like, "Hey, like I have to grow up, but my dolls don't," you know, um, I can, I, I can, I can leave them young. Right Just the way that she grew up, going from like not really listening to her mom at all mm-hmm. about like not wanting to talk to dolls to being a little more open minded uh just did show that I mean like she has she has clearly incredible potential for being more rebellious later on, um but just like wasn't at that stage yet, so mm-hmm. I see what you're saying i think I think actually sassafras just by like being where she was and then going to the commune was probably the most rebellious off of just like how long she was planning to do that. And then actually being there and having to like learn, realize what it's like, you know, making all your own food and like better keeping up with stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially given like what was going on with Mitch, but
2: yeah.
1: (sighs) Okay. All right, so let me start with the um, most recent and then we'll get back to Miles. Right. So um I do see where you could see that Sassafras could possibly be one of the most rebellious of the sisters, especially with her experience in the compound. But I do believe that was her a part of her spiritual awakening because through that she was able to, you know, not only get in touch with the divine feminine, but also utilize a sense and we explore the magical realism. Mm-hmm. But A part of the book that I believe is most significant about the menstruation menstruation, um, scene is that she's literally in nature and Sister uh, Mary is guiding her through a traditional benchmark of womanhood or adolescence. And if we just view this ambiguously genderless if this were if we're examining traditional benchmark are the first benchmark in puberty or at, or through your adolescence right. this is explored for the first time not only through a feminist lens but that we also get to see how a community of women and the black community welcome this still young child because remember often at times children of color are expedited through their childhood and instantly considered and identified as adults. And yep. we even see today yep. day when not only black men, Hispanic men are charged legally for certain crimes as an adult. But moving back to this um, title, when we explore that and then she moves with, like you said, stepping away from the dolls and placing them in an the attic as a reflection of a of a stance of maturity, I believe that when she separated herself from the dolls, because keep in mind, they were a part of her magical realm. And in a sense, her parallel universe where she could explore her independence, but also explore her um, gifts. Um, because as you know, um, Indigo has certain um, magical or supernatural or metaphors physical abilities that the other sisters don't and we see this contrast because sassafras when she's in the compound when she's you know exploring the orishas and oshun and she's finding that she's a a daughter of oshun and she gets in touch she's a sense not hesitant but she's overwhelmed at some points because these are certain aspects of not only her womanhood, her femininity, but her feminine energy in her female body that she's never explored. And when she's carrying a child for someone, that she share not only toxic, negative, draining energy, she yeah. makes a choice to separate herself from the source of what is growing within. So there's a lot of mental anguish and trauma going on around that. And so I believe that when we see these steps in womanhood, because from literally menstruation to manifesting and carrying and bearing a child we see how it affects not only each woman but how it affects each woman during literally its timeline and sequence in the book
2: yes yes yeah um back to indigo again quite quickly. <laughs> like i guess i am still caught up on the presence of Christianity in her development and like why
0: it was always mentioned, exactly like why she had to grow up is like time for you to be a woman now. And like when you get your first period, it is like this first sign of womanhood. But like why it was associated
2: so much with like Christianity and like she was also developed, developing, you know, her beliefs about boys and you know, just so, so many things. And it it seems like all the adults in her life are just trying to like imbue in her a Christian ethic that, you know, I, I, yeah, I couldn't tell if she was open to or not. I don't know.
1: Um, Well, well in the South particularly, and I believe because of Southern Christian narratives are centered around and at the core of the black community, simply put, post-traumatic slave syndrome, you wow. know, not only, you know, when I say that the Black experience is a collective narrative, oftentimes historically we view the Black experience as Christian-centered, heteronormative, and specifically American, and specifically Southern, and unless these narratives or communities migrate, the Great Migration. But you got to understand this community, especially the mom and Indigo State in the South, these other narratives didn't, so when we explore that, it's like these narratives, not only did Indigo, was she surrounded and saturated by Christian um, projections of what she should express and how she should walk. Because remember, she was a part of the um, Geechee, um, oh man, she was a Geechee cap.
2: Geechee cap-, cap dance. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: yeah. She was wearing Yes.
1: So she was a bad bitch, like Sonia Sanchez bad <laughs> bitch. But at the same time, when you know Mama Mary and her mother and other individuals, um, the white woman, I can't think of her name that sponsored Sassafras, Oh, that's and Fitzgerald.
2: Yeah.
1: Fitzgerald, you know, when they were paying for her um violin less fiddle lessons and they were like, Hey, you know, you need to invest in your music, you need to invest in being a woman of stature, you need to become a debutante when you're when the sisters came back and they went in social with the men. You know, you can tell that there was a different uh, reception and how the women received that they were amongst some of the elite in an esoteric environment, even in a Black community, and that they were able to choose, not utilize privilege, but choose based upon their socioeconomic standing, that they were women of not potential, but women of women of excellence that others wanted to also utilize in a sense of sharing that credibility so that they also can elevate to other tax brackets, to other resources, to other um, communities where they can no longer be a part of what is in the South that they're trying to break away from.
0: Yeah. And see, I mean, it's funny that you bring that up because it was definitely the case when they went to that party where you could like see some of that um, mm-hmm. let's say like class, higher class aspirations but then when Cyprus was mm-hmm. meeting with uh, Leroy and his friends then you see some of the like almost contentment around mm-hmm. like black people of different classes right like I remember her line they walk in and she's like oh you know here comes the talented 10th here comes the black bourgeoisie <laughs> like she's just immediately distrustful of them yeah. and then you know the woman is just like giving her a little Give a little handshake, like nothing on it, you know. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Just, just here, you know, kiss the fingers. But but no, I mean, I, I think that kind of that that uh, development in the book was like one more of you know hundreds of reasons why I thought this book was perfect. Just because um, it does zoom out mm-hmm. of it, it zoomed out from like you know where indigo was when she started this story to literally like a a full american and and, as well as like western african you know view of like black experience in this Mm -hmm. on this land
1: yes i'm glad you mentioned that there are many pillars and elements of pan-africanism in this book Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why i love this book this is a teaching book that i provide and suggest when any especially young reader is trying to explore Pan-African ideologies, but doesn't want or can digest certain complex um, thinkings of possibly anything from Fred Hampton to Malcolm X. Mm. This is a book that I definitely suggest for them to introduce certain ideas so that way they already are thinking in certain open-minded feminists and also exploring certain sexualities. Cause when we, you know, yeah. we both been talking about indigo friends, like when we talk about cypress and like, oh my god, like okay, first of all, like God dang, like first of all, it's not. <laughs> On that, y'all.
2: Sure, although, no, you're great. You're at <laughs> it, Yeah, exactly. It really
1: is. And now, Cypress. Cypress is one of those. Cypress, I believe, is one of those middle child because although, mm-hmm. and let me piggyback on what you previously said, Miles. Um, the reason why I believe Indigo is also the least like to be rebellious is because she's witnessed as a younger, as the youngest sibling, so many other mistakes of older siblings, that she's, in a sense, become not self-sabotaging as she's seen her sisters, especially, sacrifice but that she is being intentional with her steps. And I think that that was possibly what dictated and confirmed her choices say in the South. And she knew, I believe in a, in a sense the double consciousness, because when we saw how she was hesitant um, to, you know, step away from sister Mary with her interactions with her uncle to whom was, you know, the guy from around the way that was, you know, pulling out the stops in the middle of the street, you know, making magic happen underneath the moon, you know? So when we see her, when she, you know got the fiddle from her uncle and just knew and utilized her strengths she knew in a sense of the double consciousness that staying in the south meant she was staying in a highly christian centered environment oh sorry and that she you know in a sense had to in a way preserving her culture was circulating the importance and not snubbing these cultural narratives although they're isolated from mainstream mainland black narratives and black experiences and so with cypress you know my drug slinging you know coke selling you know bisexual she gives me i don't know if you guys have seen married to married at first sight but she gives me Paige and all do like very absent-minded like, well,
0: that's the tv show right
1: yeah 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 the yeah, two, you
2: know, have... tv show
0: where like like two people get set up and it's like Married at first sight. And then oh, married, married at first it. sight. Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: yeah, it is. yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing the new uh, season about Paige and Chris? Oh, no, yeah. no, no. Oh, but, okay. All right. In like two sentences, I'm going to summarize it. So yes. Paige and Chris are a black couple. Uh, Chris um, was um, not as forthcoming with truth, and he has a woman pregnant that was his previous fiance. So when he got married... Um, Paige had the choice to leave, but because of her lack of self-love, she's choosing to stay because of what she believes is her Christian duty as a woman to her husband, to whom she has Hardly known. Mind yeah. you, he has a woman pregnant and she's willing to be the bonus parent because she wants to be, in her sense, the best wife that the good book, regardless of his version, King James or whatever, even the book of the book, <laughs> 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 um, tells her to do. And so when I say that, Cypress gives me the that like absent-minded page mm-hmm. vibe. Because when Paige is treated, not only She's not treated well or with the respect she deserves from her female partner she's hesitant to receive the love that she knows she's deserving in a masculine, cisgendered body because of how she has loved herself and defined the love she believes she should attract and keep in her life. And I think that's also a reflection of the love she saw in her family with her mother. And when she witnesses the little interactions as she, you know, in her 20s with her sister Sassafras, when she sees their relationship, or she sees her relationship with, you know, mentioned, just seeing that, it's not It's not progressive, and it's something that they've seen in their childhood. It's almost in a sense of confirming that they're not deserving of love. Look at my sister we've come from literally the same place, the same people we've had similar environments, similar experiences, and she too is not deserving so it it almost is in a sense of that imposter syndrome, and yet through her experience of this male consistent conscious Open minded, just beautiful character. And although he's not, he's an enigma, he is this just cough conco- just he's a musician. So there's this, you know, Harlem Renaissance sort of edginess, but yet there's this hesitation. And so we grow with Cypress as a reader and an audience. And that's why I love Cypress. Of all the girls, let me ask you both this who's your favorite character, Indigo, Cypress, or?
0: yeah i i was i was gonna ask i was gonna ask you too no i honestly um i honestly like sassafras the most mm-hmm. uh, no sorry excuse me cypress, cypress. Mm-hmm. um sassafras sassafras was probably my least favorite honestly um so it goes cyprus <laughs> indigo then sassafras and i knew that just because off of reading like Cypress's like storyline it was the one that i felt most um excited by inspired by like i feel like i had a um i don't know just the 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 the, the color of the story was
2: really enjoyable um and very like passionate in a way that like i just wasn't feeling with
0: Sassafras or indigo as much as i did love indigos like beginning scenes.
2: Mm -hmm. what about you yeah I you know I'm pretty strongly biased towards indigo but I think it's just because I'm at a time in my life now where I've been thinking a lot about um, like what man what man manhood means and like what a rite of passage looks like for that and then so to see it in indigo um, her Develop, developing of the, the divine feminine and just like that mm-hmm. at a young age, as was more cause for reflection in my own own life. Uh, so, you know, and to see her develop, development throughout throughout the, the, the book, um, you know, to where in, in, in the end she's a mid uh, a midwife, I think is just like wonderful. So yeah, but, yeah, I'm partial to Indigo.
1: Hmm. See, I'm stuck between cypress and indigo. So I think we're all on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, well, also, how did you feel about the letters between the mom and the daughters? Oh, how did you feel about that? Some, some of those were like hard to read because I can tell be, even with the mother's lack of formal education, her sincerity and her unconditional love, and her commitment to never give up on her daughters—you can feel it, even when the daughters weren't as receiving, or even when they weren't as amicable. It was—it was hard to read some of those letters. But what about for you guys?
2: Yeah, you know, the letters. Oh man, um, the letters were such. Uh, um, a powerful like way of like weaving all
0: the stories together mm-hmm. because you never see the letters from the daughters to the mothers, even though even though their mom is always writing to them as if like she is like <laughs> keeping up with their with their lives and stuff. Um, but but I think what that meant is that you know you can have the you can have more of the like the power and the on the ground. Uh, perspective from the daughters but then when you get the mother you kind of see this this like pull pull up and out in terms of um you know intergenerational like conversations this negotiation between like
2: yes come on now. You know, well, no it's like
0: well it's like the um i, I was writing it down because because for some of these letters you know there's there is like wisdom there right right but then mm-hmm. at the same time there are other, there are other pieces of like, what the mom sees as wisdom, which are actually like outdated. And like, it was funny how I could read it and see like, oh, this is irrelevant for Cyprus. (laughs) Or like, Sassafras is not going to like mess with you know what I'm saying? Like, you (laughs) kind of, you could kind of like see how the daughters themselves would be taking some pieces as relevant and then throwing out others. Mm -hmm. And this was, yeah, I mean, this was really interesting just with also reflecting on like our own relationships with our parents and seeing how with every new generation you do have to like negotiate um you know truth as told to you from your yeah. forebearers right so as as important as it is to you know honor um your elders and like respect you know the, the just the experience of people who've come before you um you do have to be able to like recognize that you are in a completely different situation than, mm-hmm. than they are you know um there, there there are limits
2: and strengths to like to to her as a mother um mm-hmm. and yes yeah and yeah so I'll, I'll just leave it at that for now because wow. that's really powerful
1: just to piggyback off of you Jen. i agree with you completely not many people pick up on that all of the letters are written solely from the mother to the daughters when I talk about this book. And I do yes believe that it. it's it's literally a ref- it's a metaphor for literally home reaching out to the daughters. And you're right, each generation, as we even when we see with the millennial generation, generation Z and X, that there's always the call and response coming from the parental unit. Mm-hmm. And that there needs to be a different way to have this intergenerational conversation, so that it there's reciprocity, um, mm-hmm. and mutual respect. Because yes, I don't believe that I do not believe that any of the sisters or that, excuse me, any of the daughters were disrespectful to the mother, but I do believe that they lacked a sense of respecting wisdom regardless of some of it being dated yes but that was a reflection of not only her upbringing but that the mother too believed in similar in certain christian ideologies that staying in the home of gossip violence is what you're supposed to do it's your role and certain things that she passed on to her daughters so i think with their informed consciousness they were able to not yes discernly pick and choose what was right to pro- to move them forward but also, to understand that their mother too needed some sort of education in a way, and she was, she was receiving some, you know. When she would send um cypress silks for her tutus and, and garments, she was sewing, you know, she would talk about you know the brochure that she would bring. She's like, you know, I think this is a little too da 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 da, I think this is a little too da 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 da, and I like that. So, it allowed me to see that she was maybe not as she was not where we expected her to be, but she was open to moving towards where she needed to be in
0: life right and so there are like two more things on on the mom that i want to bring up um the first one was that i think there is there is one example that really got me where like one of the daughters didn't want this to be true but it ended up coming out to be true so i'm looking at this letter uh where hilda's writing to cyprus um it's on like 139 in our book but She's talking about her friends, Adrina and Eschelle, right? And she's like, hey, they sound nice, but close women friends are always more trouble than they are pleasure. And she goes on to say, like, you know, like you gotta be careful around like women, because you never know like how they're gonna like suss you out or like, you know, cut you down or something like that. And I thought that was, I thought that was so hard. That was so hard because because, mm-hmm. you know, you you had this. You had you had this beautiful uh, perspective from Cyprus on how, like, amazing her friends, you know, appeared at first. And then mm-hmm. she definitely, like, you know, gets knocked down by those interactions, whether it's her friends, like, um, you know, telling her, like, hey, like, as soon as Adrena's girlfriend comes back, like, you're out of the picture. And then, mm-hmm. like, Adrena just dropped her, too. So mm-hmm. then it's like, dang, like, mm-hmm. like as, as beautiful as this was right Their their whole collective, I was like, man, like her mom with her traditional, like Southern perspective is still like telling her something that she doesn't want to hear, but that is like still very much true in this particular case. And her experience mm-hmm. confirmed
2: it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. But then, I, I, so the second thing too, is that like, I think that, um, you know, Hilda's
0: description of the father, like it was pretty clear early on that he wasn't around anymore, that he had passed mm-hmm. away. But from how Shange wrote about him, he seemed like a pretty nice guy, right? And it seems like, you know, the mother was kind of like keeping that that memory of him like being a great guy up. But then it was crazy how, you know, Mitch um abuses sassafras And then they do a throwback to yeah, when, right. you know, her father used to do that to her mom. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh God, like this is the first time they're bringing this up. Mm -hmm. And here we have, you know, the memory of their father as like someone who was like a great guy when he like very clearly wasn't all the time.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, They did, they did, shang did mention as well though how like they all made a decision to not talk to him anymore because, you know, he had like hurt their mom. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to be like, that that seemed to be going into their relationship with their mother, of course, right? Because if they're all, you know, rather against him, but she still, you know, lovingly like remembers his his life and whatnot, it's like, oh, what are what's going on here, right? Where you can have a mom who, you know, had to suffer at the hands of this guy, um, and their her daughters who are very like protective of her, and yet now they're not seeing eye to eye on it because they don't remember him the same way.
1: Oh. Man. Okay, first of all, yes, 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 yes. I do believe that the, each of the daughters individually and as a collective suppressed the memory of their father and the violence they witnessed mm-hmm. and the, what their mother also endured. And the And the only instances we see the father being violent or even exploring that with each daughter is through certain flash forwards or flashbacks. And this is also a reflection of what the African-American family and community does with violence in the home, sexual violence, abuse, not only from men and towards men. And when we see that in the flash forward, how the father is being tortured and where we see also the mother is barefoot and pregnant, which is a term that's used also in the south and throughout african-american communities illustrating a woman that's essentially helpless and dependent upon some sort of resource and what we see in that afro-futuristic lens of she just being you know a baby producer and the father being tortured which is a contrast from what we see his character being you know he's a seaman so he understands uniformity standard quality brotherhood um fraternity and adventure open. Adventure, yeah. yes, he's like a not, black not really
2: Odyssey, no. yes, so Black Odysseus, yes,
1: so his rebellion <laughs> is a, so the torture, the shocking is literally the daughter subconsciously. And stick with me here, walk with me here. This is the daughter subconscious way to hold the father accountable for the violence that she witnessed in her child reality and childlike mind. So in the subconscious world, she's torturing her father. Although her mother, she's not able to provide that sort of engagement and release and liberation, but her father, in a sense, to give and also keep in mind through every flash forward, dream sequence, and and flashback, the mother is protected. The mother is not harm through any of the daughter's interactions or subconscious ways of inflicting some sort of pain or reaction that they haven't been able to as a child. And so when we see that they're protecting the mother, it's almost as if they're also reacting in a sense of a double consciousness. They're not able to protect their mother as a child, but in their subconscious mind as an adult. And with the knowledge of an understanding of what happened in hindsight, they're still subconsciously protecting their mother. It's almost innately and effortless And so, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Jane and Miles, y'all got something going on here. This is wonderful. You proposed the book.
0: Come on now. (laughs)
2: This
0: is just a beautiful book. That's what it is. That's what it is.
2: Yes. Man, I'm thinking, too, like, with the letters, though, like, because they have the same interlude character as like the rest of the recipes and the great the rituals. Oh. Like in the rest of oh, okay. in the rest of <laughs> in the recipes, like, yes. in, like oh, the writers kind of mirror like the same generational passing down of information, hard earned knowledge, but also it's like a blueprint that doesn't have to be followed to the letter. You know yes. what I'm saying? And like you read the rest of the rest of res- the recipes in the same poetic way and you're like wow, like this is more than just like step a step b like there there's a lot of personality here there's there's like you, you, you know what I'm saying it feels like years of of love and experience that are that are put into making food in this way, just as you know Hilda has with making clothes um just as indigo kind of shares with the character you know her rituals too and I, and I, I and I think just like one. Example I could think of too as a way that the children have taken, you know, some of what what their mother has given them in their <laughs> own way is like when Salsaperas kind of like re rediscovered what making clothes meant for her in her life. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because she was like, she used it as a way to feel connected to all the women of the world, and you know, to her mother, to her home, everything. But it was like this very like grounding spiritual force in, in her own way that, you know, she just wouldn't have had if it weren't her mother and she wasn't where she was from. Um, but yeah, that, that's just like one of the things I kinda of picked up on.
1: Yes. Oh, mom, I yes, I agree with you. I do believe each daughter had in a sense a niche or an outlet that right. they expressed themselves and also like a channel to their heritage and their childhood that yes. they could find a sense of refuge and could decompress. And, you know, for Indigo, I do believe it was her spiritual gifts and intellectual ability. And if the other daughter, um, Cypress, if I'm getting that right, um, you know, her textile and woven and dyeing skills. Um, But what I see, um, excuse me, sassafras, but from Cypress, I believe she had, and she led with her divine maternal instinct because she was so maternal, even when she had her house. I mean, she was taking care of so many, individuals but she was invested. She cast a web and she had so many connections. And I think that and even when we saw when she, you know, did her travels and she saw some of her older friends and how they had decayed in New York. How New York's grittiness also was not only internalized but a, a reflection of their um of their journey. Like when she saw her male um dancer where he didn't have any teeth and, Yeah,
0: Ariel. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it just like it just it was like it it was like a a brunt of reality, but it was also letting her know that in a sense, in that way, that she was privileged. Because keep in mind, you know, now that she has like this, you know, musician and you know what I'm saying you know she's living this like love hip hop kind of life, back and forth, or back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> so you know she get to do what she wants. She's living it, you know, you know, we being real, you know, she get to live it. She don't she has an allowance. She can, you know, know, do what she wants. She's free to, you know, create. Not many Black women, not many women had choices like that, freedom like that, support from men like that, financial. It it wasn't heard of. So the fact that she was able to have that surrounding of resources, love, and people resources, it was just, it was groundbreaking for me. I loved it. Mm
2: -hmm. Wait, so just a little bit of, your own background with, with this book. So, like, when was, like, the first time that you read it and, like, when have you come back to it? Or, like, what if it's just, like, you know, the characters and the story meant to you over time? Because, I mean, you're just, you're so rich with, you know, all all these insights about the book. So. You ready for
1: it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I actually discovered this book two years ago.
2: Wow. Wow.
1: So my favorite author of all times, day and night, I would always say is Zoran Hurston. I feel like I'm a daughter of Hurston. Mm-hmm. She's my sorority sister.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I never truly appreciated Shane writing until I picked up this book. I always appreciated her for her prose and her poetry, mm-hmm. her writing, you know, um, the rainbow uh, for women, for colored girls when the rainbow is not enough we would consider suicide, you know, that used to be, you know, a title I reference for Shanghai. It wasn't until I picked up this book when I first started working for my library, which is one of three special research libraries in the country, solely dedicated to Black literature and history and art. We have three art galleries in our library. And so when I picked up this book as a Geechee American, as a a queer Southern woman, you know, as a bisexual woman and seeing bisexual representation in this book, I was able, I felt seen and heard. And I, you know, my experiences most resonate with Cyprus. Mm-hmm. And that's why I appreciate each daughter because their intergenerational connection with the mother and home taught me that womanhood can be present not only in sisterhood bodies, but it's not monolithic. And that mistakes can be present in Black womanhood without a status of limitation being present throughout your life, with it being followed by a lack of your intellectual reign. And so just seeing that each daughter could make mistakes and were conscious about certain decisions that they were still present on. And just seeing how they surrounded each other when Indigo was the midwife for her sister, literally welcoming in her niece and her mother is present. Like just it it was a full circle. And so when I read this book, I reread it uh, twice because, see, I'm the type of broad where if I like something, I got to read it twice. Yeah. like for example if you've ever read uh, flowers for algernon that book is
2: oh for real yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. oh that's that, that
1: book x that book is a reflection of me um so although i it's not as present now but i have a speech impediment and i did not speak my actually i didn't speak until i was 3 years old and through esl english as a second language because french is my first language um I I just didn't interact with anyone. My form of communication was writing. And so I didn't have many interpersonal communications or friends in my childhood. And as a military brat, literature was my resources. So having Zorna Hurston as my reference for, you know, as a as a woman of color and queer, it was everything I wanted. But when I picked up this book, I realized that oh, in any hue, The Black experience in any ability and in any body, it is beautiful and welcome. And I just, I read this book once a year, sometimes multiple times. And I also read Flowers for Algernon um, because it shows the growth of not only your intellectual ability, but how it affects others and how the double consciousness can be a pillar of hypervigilance if you are not establishing healthy boundaries and not constantly rehearsing the life you want to live, but walk in that life that you want. And so that's why I encourage, you know, not only utilizing literature as a tool to rehabilitate your mental health, but it provides you a community of narratives and experiences to model or to guide you throughout your life. And so this book and Flowers for Algernon, go read that. And there's also um, if you all need it, because, you know, I'm a pirate a little bit about me. <laughs> I can find anything on the internet. I used to work for broadcasting. I worked for television for two years, um, in entertainment marketing research. And also in the library, I started as an intern freelance and then full time. Um, so it was one of the greatest experiences, but I do not believe you should pay for cable. That shit is trash and it's highly robbery. And so I know every way to find you <laughs> access to any great major network, CNN, TBN, TBS, Christian networks, uh, BT uh, centric. you can go down the list because I do not believe that you just have to pay for the access to your own culture and community. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> so I will send you a link to uh, Flowers for Algernon, the film, if you need it. Uh, it's on YouTube, and I also have a back way to get it. You don't need a VPN. That's love that. Yeah,
2: um, yeah, yeah. This is like. This is the second fig- fiction book that I've read in, in the last year, and that's really a shame. But I think with all of the fiction books, I just, you can't help but feel like you have to reread them because um, there are just certain things that, you know, you don't pick up on. There's certain things that I didn't realize until you were talking about the book, you know, where it feels like I'm thinking now. And, you know, metaphors are coming together. Themes are coming together. Um, but, yeah, this is just truly a rich book. I, I, I mean, what else do you have to say? Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. I I,
0: I absolutely agree because, <laughs> like, it, it was kind of wild how I could um, enjoy the book so much without knowing all of the vocabulary or all of the the, the dance terms or even being able to, like, visualize some things,
2: mm-hmm. you know?
0: And that's why I was, like, really excited to talk to you about because I was like, oh, like, if this is Boris's, like, favorite, like, you know, piece of literature. I'm sure that when you read it, you have, like, an incredible, like, imagination around, like, mm-hmm. the world that it is. And mine is, mine still feels hazy for as, like, enjoyable, as amazing as it was, you know? So I think that the more that mm-hmm. I, like, learn, mm-hmm. read, Um, just, like, experience the world and, of course, like, talk to you and other people about stuff like this, like, the next time I read it, it's going to be like, even more powerful, you know. Um, But but I think that, like, uh, I I had never thought about, you know, literature as, like, a mental health resource Mm -hmm. until you just said it now. But it's crazy because I was talking to Miles about this yesterday because, you know, the 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 story was absolutely amazing right and beautiful. It's kind of like what I was talking about with indigo and then the like the the interaction with the doctor right the the next time that happened is you have like this woman this black woman centered story um mm-hmm. it's like it feels like a sanctuary just reading the book mm-hmm. right and then you have the experience of like Mitch and his friends like sitting sassafras down and like writing that like talking telling that story. And I was talking to Miles, just how, you know, you, again, shang contrasted such like beauty and like sanctity and sacredness around this family. And then you have these like dudes who you don't know, who you don't fuck with, like, (laughs) like, you know, uh, really humiliating her. Right. And they don't even realize it and they definitely aren't sorry. And like, I think that was, that was that was the point where you know i I only had one word for it, which was disgusted, you know, um and it wasn't just disgusted at the at the the story itself, but in what it reminded me of of like my own experiences right or like
2: really?
0: ways, yeah of course, like ways that like I as a man like don't recognize like yeah. how how and when I can be crass, right, which is another word that I picked up from the book and you know, I think talking about it with Miles, that was where yeah. we were like, "Man, you know, this this book is is, a, is an incredibly powerful tool just for giving us what we need, right? But then also giving us a lot of stuff that we want, but didn't know, or that we needed, but didn't know that we needed, right? Because yeah. that kind of perspective out yeah. um, at, at look outside, looking in on you know how men can be like incredibly toxic and Sometimes aware of it, but other times not. I mean, you know, there's one part too where Mitch uh, welcomes sassafras back home, and she's like, "Oh, so you're gonna be, mm-hmm. you're gonna, you're cool now because you, you're starting to make money." And I immediately thought of uh, "We Real Cool" by Bell Hooks, because that's her whole point is that like men have this idea that you you're only a man if you're making money, yep. and it's like, oh, here this guy is making money and now he's like you know actually being more of like a caring generative person that he could have been this whole time um it was just it was just more annoying like i don't like mitch at all but (laughs) you know what i'm saying like it's just like it's one of those things where it's even in how i'm like relating Mm -hmm. to him as like a male character um because he was like really sullying like the whole experience of like it being this divine Black feminine, like, narrative, you know, and that's intentional, obviously, but right. that that means something for us, like, you know, being, like, like, yeah, exactly, cisgender male identifying, so. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, wow. Thank you for that. Oh, man, I'm speechless. I don't have anything to say to that. I'm like, oh, man, you guys, <laughs> first of all, you have something here. I am... So excited for your podcast launch I am so excited for your next chapter and how you're going to expand your platform. I'm so proud of you both models and James. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank, you. Thank
2: you. <laughs> we you back on this show. Yeah, I know. Honestly, I
1: know. Of course. We <laughs>
0: about are- this. We're talking about flowers for We're just, <laughs> just it all of I know.
1: Yes. Also, what I was going to say is if you reread this title and also, Miles, what you were saying about your fiction um, reading, um, I take this approach that I call conversations with books. When I read a book Mm. or when I reread it, I craft a playlist um, after Mm. the author of my previous experience with the author. That way, and I also write in the book. I I have writings all throughout the books. Have a conversation with the book. Like I'm really like, why the fuck did you say this? I'm like, that shit would not fly by. Da-da-da. Have a conversation. That way, when you're looking back, or when you're having discussions like this, because like I really had to like took a few like sneak it on the side, make sure y'all don't look, like keep my cool points. But like I've been like, oh man, it's been helping me to like refresh certain ideas that you guys have sparked with your interpretations of this title. So leading me next into my next question: What is your favorite novel or fiction title?
2: Fiction title or like the actual or a novel.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, oh goodness, cool. <laughs> y'all picking hard.
2: <laughs> oh. Uh-huh.
1: What's your favorite novel? What have you recently read? That's like a favorite of yours.
2: Mm-hmm. Reading stop signs don't count. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's a bit of a recent recency bias, yeah, uh, sure. but I think *The Bluest Eyes* still for me mm-hmm. uh, just took me out of a nonfiction. Um, you know, the I guess you could say that I, that I had where, you know, I could not even focus on a novel for like more than five, five minutes, but like the, the, the bluest eye to me, like, I don't know, um, just felt like music or like, it was like really, it was just poetic to the to the to the point where i could just slip in, into it like a bath um and i don't know i think that novel too like this one had just such a range of emotions mm. yes like it's not your harry harry potter uh <laughs> her, you know I'll know take what I'm she's <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah.
1: And and, like um, I didn't see no brown folks in the first two movies so I ain't gonna exactly, say nothing exactly. I ain't gonna say nothing
2: exactly. <laughs> no, but yeah I mean wait so 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 you meant like novel and the title of the book because I mean blue blue Eye would, would count for that too and, and, and just in the title um, I think you just don't really hear this superlative of blue like that bluest and to, to think that there's some somewhere out there like a bluest eye or the, the, the bluest eye, I think was just a interesting thing to imagine. Um, yeah. 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 For, for me. So like I have,
0: you know, I have one book, the, the, a lesson before dying, which was something that I actually read in high school. Um, I don't it's crazy because I I don't really like I remember the the general framing of it Mm -hmm. um, but I what I remember more than the actual like plot of the book itself was just how enthralled I was in the story I mean I literally couldn't put it down and I think that especially for where I was in high school when I read it um, it was just really important that I had a book where I felt that engaged in it, you know, as, as potentially like a a, a mental health, like resource, um, just because I was generally like disillusioned with like reading at that point. Right. Because so much of like school was like, Oh, this Mm -hmm. stuff isn't relevant or like, you know, it has people in the book who I don't relate to, of course. So reading a lesson before dying was just like really powerful for, for me as like, you know, a young reader. Um, and that's something that I want to like return to, you know, but you know, in the, in the last few months that I've been more intentional about going to fiction cause I as well was like in yeah. nonfiction for a long time. Like, um, the, the two couple of books that I've read are, um, a gathering of old men also by Ernest Gaines and then, uh, the salt eaters. And I'll
2: say, yeah, no, so like I'll, I'll, say, I'll say on the salt eaters,
0: like I haven't, I'm only halfway, um, but my story behind that book is just, it's unlike anything I've ever read, because, you know, of course, uh, it's its really windy, right? It all happens within a short time frame, but it feels so much longer because Tony K. Bar is bringing in, you know, all of the perspectives of other people in the story, like, at the same time and through time, and you know, it was, it was, it was messy. Right. And like the, in the, in the most beautiful way it was messy and I didn't understand it the first time I read it. Like I got a hundred pages in and was like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, I'm just going to stop reading this book. But then it was funny cause I started seeing what other people were saying about it. I found um, an essay by Belinda uh, Waller Patterson, just about the power of the salt eaters. And I read it and everything clicked. I was like, oh my God, like this is the healing process, right? It's, it is going to be messy. It's going to be non-linear and Mm -hmm. it's going to be communal. And especially in the case of like what Ben Barra was writing, it's going to be like women centered, right? Just off of like who was in her story and how it was put together. And I think that just really left me with the impression that whether it's like Ben Barra, Shange, Morrison, like other writers who we've learned of from like the black arts movement and before Mm -hmm. um they really were doing something incredibly special they are doing something incredibly special just Mm -hmm. with how they like weave stories together um and like can you know write so beautifully and do so in a way that people can like Mm -hmm. pick up the book you know 30 40 years later and feel like they relate to it you know and that they can like learn something from it um and and yeah you, you know especially learning of like Shanghai and Bimbar's life last month for a Black History Month project, like seeing how their theories of like politics in the world was very much imbued in their art and like in how they lived. Mm -hmm. Um, There was no like separation between the two. So I think having that kind of like context around their lives also makes it way easier to like
2: appreciate just the power of Mm -hmm. their writing and like their stories.
1: Mm. Thank you for that. Okay, well, can I share something with you? It's my unwarranted objective suggestion. Yes, please. Just based upon your energy and what you have provided as your favorites and what you have recently read. Um, So outside of Flowers for Algernon, which is a short story, um, I believe after you read large works, you should read something short to give your mind the space to decompress. Other things, so read "Flowers for Algernon," which is a short story. Mm-hmm. Then, please read "Invisible Man." By
2: wow! Al- See, I read it in high school, and I also didn't understand it. I don't. Think. Oh, I really?
0: <laughs> I heard Toni Morrison be like, "Invisible to who?" And I was like, oh, "I don't know. I don't know."
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: okay. So, in a quick summary, the reason why you should read it is because it's slick—a satire of Malcolm X's life. On the low, Ellison is slick dissing. Yes, slick dissing, but yet utilizing his life in a way of showing how black men, and a sense the black identity has a and invisibility that we can use in a sense to decompress and find refuge when even our society, our own community doesn't understand our individuality. Read the book slowly. That's why I suggested the short story before that, so that way you can explore different um, competences and intellectual ranges. Because when you explore masculinity and manhood and how invisibility is also a resource, and can elevate your consciousness, I think it will help you, which my next title is The Women of Brewster's Place. Yes, yes, it's a major one. Now, Oprah has not only made a film adaptation of The Women of Brewster's Place, but also of Beloved. But the reason why you should read the women's of Brewster's Place is because there's a men's version, the men of Brewster's Place by the same author with the same brilliancy, the same inclusions of different wow. I- ideas, experience of manhood, different bodies of masculine energy and how masculine energy can be present. It explores toxic femininity, womanness ideologies. It is literally amazing. So flowers for Algernon. Invisible Man, The Women of Brewster's Place, and The Men of Brewster's Place. And Let me know if you want me to text or email you wow. guys that. No we, no, we just wrote them down. You're, you're
0: like the plug
2: with books.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. You guys are here in uh, Georgia. You guys can hang out. We can match up, you know, show you guys some books, but I hope you guys are safe. Where are you guys? I'm here in Atlanta.
2: We're in Dayton, Ohio now, since we just ruined. yeah. Um, you know, it's getting warmer here during during March, so that's nice. I mean, it's always warm in
1: Georgia. So Whoa, it's hot. It's too hot down here. Lord. it's too <laughs> hot to be for foolishness and, and ignorance, but it's still down here. So, you know. Whew, you know, we're gonna do what we can.
2: <laughs> Actually so so we decided on a name for this podcast and so we'll probably just end up putting it back into the intro. Yeah. Uh but oh. So the name is the book, that blank, where our guest gets to fill in uh, what that blank is, right? So for Sassafras, Cy- Cypress, and Indigo, yeah. this is the book, that blank, for you. And it, and it can be anything. Um, change the way I see this or uh, makes me laugh every time I read it or cry or anything can be something that blank.
1: This book makes me feel seen and heard. Can Mm. I say that?
2: Yes. Yes.
1: That's the best way I can put it. It just makes me feel seen and heard. I feel like she's talking to me, but she's talking to my family, my Black community, Uh my queer people of color. Like, it's just, I love it. I love it. It's like, and this is also my first title that I read from a woman particularly a black woman that talks about bisexuality. I know that's saying a lot because when I experience certain narratives, they just mentioned but she explores the experience of a woman and another woman and how that dynamic it was just I was like, Oh my God, I was like, Oh bitch, I'm in. I'm in <laughs> I know.
2: Wow. Well, and oh, also, by the way, as someone with, you know, a speech impediment my, myself, I, I just wanted to thank thank you for your own vulnerability and uh, sharing, sharing that. And that made me feel seen and heard, too. So uh, that was very impactful. And, you know, it's kind of uh, written in the stars that you are our first guest for the show. So. No, it definitely is. Come on.
1: Baby, cry. Come on now. It yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just smoke, So come on now. Let me just relax. <laughs> Exactly. This isn't fun. I have enjoyed my experience, my conversation, and just meeting you both. I hope that we can collaborate again. I can't wait to see what's next, get some merch. I'm going to purchase some merch. It's coming to you.
2: It's coming to you.
1: Excited.
0: Thank you so much for listening to our very first conversation on the Book That Blank podcast. If the book sounded interesting to you, then go ahead and check out Sassaraz, Cypress, and Indigo on Bookshop. And of course, go follow your favorite librarian on Instagram at FavoriteLibrarian and give Real Ballers
2: Read a follow at Real Ballers Read. Thank you, and we'll catch you next time.